We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I'm trying something new based on your feedback. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. Now, on to my guest for today, Sydney Wong of VentureX. Sydney started working in tech marketing after graduating from college. Curious to know about the startup world, she moved to San Francisco to try and learn all she could about tech startups and entrepreneurship. Driven to help solve the problems startups face, when she returned to Montreal, she started VentureX, a platform that provides tools and support to startups and also so they can do their own angel investing. Sydney explains how VentureX is different from other platforms like AngelsList in that it provides more analytics to help both startups and investors understand each other better. In the last year during the pandemic, the company also started its own investing branch, which has given her even more insights into the startup funding journey, some of which we share during this interview. Now, let's get better together. Sydney Wong, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being on. We uh, we met through matchmaker.fm, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yeah, great site. Yeah, I had uh, James on the CEO the other day, and I'm a big fan. <laughs> like I get great guests from there, and it's a wonderful platform if you're trying to be a guest, have a you know you're a host, and it's just a really cool thing. And uh, one of the things that's awesome about like what they do, so allows you know people like us that we've never met before uh, to talk about cool stuffs and what you're doing at VentureX yeah. is pretty awesome. But uh, before we dig into that a little bit, um, why don't you tell me and our listeners how you got to do what you're doing today? Yeah, so it's kind of a crazy story and it takes place in uh, your home in San Francisco right now. So I'm a, I'm Canadian. I'm originally from, from Canada. I've lived in other places, did my master's in Paris. Then I've always uh, came back to uh, Canada. Specifically, I'm in Montreal. And um, I was working in uh, marketing and uh, tech because it was one of the industries that was growing at the time that um, a few years after I graduated, which is around the time of the last recession, oddly enough, as we are having instability right now. And um, so every 10 years or so, you know, we kind of go through these, these uh, uncertain times. So a friend of mine said, if I was very truly interested about learning more about tech and startup, then I needed to go and move down to the valley where he was. So within about 10 days, I bought a one-way ticket and I moved in with him. And then I stayed there like forever because apparently you need like a credit report or something. Crazy. What's what, what do you mean? Like you can pay? Well, no, yeah. just come. Just come to the land of plenty. The, the road is paved with gold, as they said in 19, in 1849 when exactly. they were trying to lure people here. a crazy experience where like, I was like, yeah, I went to school on scholarship. They're like, you don't have student debt. You don't get nothing. So it was, <laughs> I was like, oh, too bad. And I learned how to manage my money. Yeah. And so, um, that was bad. And then I was, uh, I got the great opportunity though, to meet a whole bunch of, you know, great startups and investors. And they were all at these different stages. And I met them through any, any which direction that you turn. Somebody was working on something really cool. Um, it was everyone from my Uber driver or um, dog walkers on WAG or all of these other things that we also didn't have at the time. <laughs> and um, so I got to really fall in love with this industry and I wanted to help solve these problems. So I fell in love with the problem and the market first. And um, so I wanted to build out a tool which became VentureX's platform, which is an analytical way on analyzing how startups are doing in order to try and predict how they will be doing um, in the future, which is why we use their analytics in order to connect uh, the startups as well as the investors. In a different way of saying it is also a way to democratize um, the startup funding industry. So then it is one of those things that are, um, are more meritocracy meritocracy based and uh, really helping a lot more people who otherwise wouldn't have had the chance. Hmm. Interesting. Cause there, there are other platforms like angels list, I guess mm -hmm. that's more of an investment platform, right? Not more of a, I guess. Yeah. yeah how are you different from say an angels list? Yeah, so we use a, a lot more analytics um, that they don't have because it's more of a, like a telephone directory, but specifically for startups and investors, for sure. And um, and I do know that Angelus um, did try and do more um, algorithm-based, um, you know, in their model at some point and then took it away. And so 
we've actually evolved um, by adding lots of different things too, but in a different kind of way. So instead of going more the directory way, like the way AngelList did, as they went through their journey, we actually opened up an angel funding arm. So then we're kind of like, um, you know, experiencing this process um, as well as our investor partners are. So we opened up an angel funding arm um, during the quarantine actually just during the pandemic so last year and then we funded uh, one company this year that was on our platform and we were helping um, on a consultancy basis as well and we got to know them really well and uh, they're a Canadian company um, that is in Canada doing um, a SaaS like B2B model for breweries distilleries and food companies so it was really cool to be able to um, see the perspectives of both startups as well as investors now yeah I mean it's it's a, it's a hard, I mean, it, it's so interesting because, you know, as an operator of a startup, you are uniquely qualified to evaluate other startups. Yeah. I, I really truly believe that as an operator, you've got an advantage over just a traditional or classical investor or VC, because when you live it and when you're, when you live it in, and you're living it currently, you just kind of know what the kind of what the trend is and, and, and not to say that venture capitalists and investors don't know what they're doing. Cause they do, they're, they're pretty smart people, but I think it's a pretty fascinating way to go because you kind of know what they're dealing with at, at a very intimate level because you're like, Oh yeah, I'm dealing with the same thing. D- do you find that? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of great ways that, um, you know, if you are, an entrepreneur today and a startup today, it is so different than if you have heard the coming of age stories from entrepreneurs 10 years ago, 20 years ago, all of these things, right? And the way that your journey is in today's um, world is navigated completely differently. So you're definitely able to resonate a little more. And especially if you are running, um, you know, your company during a pandemic versus never was. Also very different perspectives on on things and so being able to to relate to um, our audience is something that i always found to be super important and do you find that being in canada is a different perspective or do you have you know startups from all over the all over the world that come to your platform or specifically canada or how, how does it kind of the geographical stuff fit into it yeah so that's a great question we get that question all the time um so um in terms of our uh, of our actual fund the angel fund um we can only invest in canada and the u.s however our actual platform as well as uh you know when we create educational events for uh startups they can be from anywhere in the world we actually are having a huge i don't know why growing audience in india <laughs> Wow. I sat as, <laughs> as a judge for various Indian startups and uh-huh. I, I interviewed a, a, um, a very popular Indian angel investor on my cool. show, Spotlight, where I interviewed them Jimmy Fallon style. Mm, cool. Um, so I, I had just like a flood of applications from India for, um, for our platform as well as for our webinars. Cool. Yeah, I get a lot of listeners from India, a lot of people from India get on my blog, the daily MBA, but yeah, it's a, it's an entrepreneurial place. Everyone's mm-hmm. looking for their side hustle. <laughs> you know, you see, you see a lot from Eastern Europe too now, because yes. I think they're yeah. really starting to understand the power of that. And yeah, I just did a great conference actually, that was VCs in Eastern Europe. And I was one of the only ones that was not from there or had the ability to fund anyone from there. 
but just had a lot of great uh, partners and education, just understanding um, how far along they were versus in uh, North America. So diversity was a, a, an important topic that came up um, because it is International Women's Month and they happen to have their conference that month. So on the panel, they were both a mixture of men and women instead of just women on the stage and it's just like whoever comes but um, or or just men yeah, <laughs> which exactly. is the predominant investor model just They're a like, bunch of always been fine. yeah tall tall white guys with beards or whatever or vests exactly, or something. exactly. <laughs> and, and so they were explaining that there were various countries um that if you went to ipo with your startup you had to have at least one female on your board of directors i didn't know that could possibly be a legal thing and learning that it was not only legal, but expected. Yeah. Scandinavian, so Scandinavian countries, Scandinavian countries are like, sorry to interrupt. Scandinavian countries have that pretty huge now. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was really interesting to, to understand like, oh, maybe North America didn't have the answers to everything. No, we don't. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, contrary to popular belief. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Who knew? Because when we go to our conferences, like, you know, all of our big tech ones are like, oh, we have the answers. To ev- we create everything here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, not so much anymore. I mean, I think we can, we could probably make the claim that we sort of invented venture capital. Yeah. I think that process. actually is true. Yep. But we can't make the claim that we know everything about entrepreneurship and building companies because clearly there's other places in the world that have been around like, you know, like Mesopotamia, <laughs> the rest of the world, Asia <laughs> that have been doing commerce for longer than we've been a country and, or even there's been inhabitants here, or I'm sorry, you know, there's been indigenous inhabitants, but not the, what has happened, you know, with all those trading routes and everything, right. Not, yeah, not as populated as it was back then. So, wow. Hmm. So are there any, sort of tips, tricks, you know, methodologies that you would recommend kind of startups that want to be funded, of course, go on your platform and do the process. But I always find it interesting to, especially since you're an investor, you're an angel investor, you have a fund. um, How, what do you look for? And what are some of the things that startups can do to kind of prepare for that process? Because a lot of people, including me, (laughs) I don't like it because it's like, salesy, messy kind of thing. And I do know like one um, angel investor that's now a venture capitalist that was at 500 Startups, Elizabeth Yin, who I'm a big fan of. I follow her and and really there's a long story behind her, why she's so awesome. She's got all these great advice tips on Twitter. I'm curious what you think and how you kind of help people get ready for that funding process. Yeah, so there's a there's definitely a lot of information out there, and um, being prepared is is by far the most important. So it's getting more and more um, saturated in in this market in terms of an, an abundance of unprepared startups, as opposed to there's too many startups. That's not really the same thing. And so um, you know, investors want to know why they should be the ones um, that that you're approaching and, you know, how you're a good fit, you know, stop sending those kinds of mass emails, even though like we have spent so much like human technology and resources on creating mass customization. It doesn't really work in such a tiny industry. Less than 3% of startups get funded. 
Should that be the case? Probably not. But um, is that the case because it is very, very difficult to, to take, um, you know, time and resources and energy to really go through all of those decks and all of those um, uh, non customized and non-researched um, applications and everything. Yeah, because there's really no other way to, to do it. It's really difficult. So even though um, you don't know their criteria, you can always look on places like AngelList or Crunchbase to see where, uh, where these investors have invested in before. And then the other thing um, is that just because, you know, um, you need funding for XYZ kinds of milestones, there are a lot of companies that are actually not investable. So when I first got into this space, I met with um, this, uh, this great lady who actually gives money to funds in Canada. Like that is her job. And so she first taught me this, this great piece of advice, which was, if you want to get invested, you have to build an investable company. And that is like almost like a shameful thing to say, which I don't think is, is, is shameful. I think it's actually just facts. Because you can build great businesses and they will be lifestyle businesses or they will be, you know, your own bootstrap businesses or whichever kinds um, they are or just revenue based businesses um, forever. And you get to do whatever you want with it. And that's great. But if you want to get investment, you want other people's money and input and strategies or resources, then there are lots of ways to do it that don't involve necessarily the traditional funding path. And if you do want to go through the traditional funding path, then you have to make sure you have an investable business. And those are not every business. Uh, it's so true. It's so true. I'm glad you brought that up. That's actually a very astute point when it comes to entrepreneurs that think they need to get money, but really it's, you really don't need money per se. You sort of need to figure out what you're doing. Um, yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And test and that, the market and, and make sure that there's something there. So uh, because we specialize in a lot of software, when there were hardware businesses that were asking for um, help with funding that we don't really do, you know, uh, the, one of the first things I asked them is still the only the only real like solution now is how did you test the market? Did you test it with Facebook ads and, and put a little bit of money in to see kind of like what the traction is? Did you test with a Kickstarter or crowdfunding campaign to see if people would even pre-buy what it is that you want? And therefore you have to then start deciphering down, like what is the right price point? Who are the people that are going to buy? And what would the design kind of look like? You don't have to actually make it. You just have to have enough that this campaign will launch, right? But if you don't have those kinds of things already like set in place, really hard to invest in hardware because you need to get the molding, you need to get the prototype, you need to get the testing, you need to get the labs, and then you have your first run of production. It's so much upfront cost. And uh, so that's also why it, there are a lot of investors that are asking me about syndicates and how they can get into software as opposed to other industries, which to me, I'm like, I don't know how to help you. You are a dentist. That's great. But like, we don't have syndicates for this. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, hardware is hard for a reason. I'm a, I'm a hardware guy by, <laughs> by vocation. So I get upset when, um, you know, all the venture money goes to SaaS, which is hard, but not as hard as, not as, as hardware. Hard. Yeah. So yeah, I just want the kind of the easy money. Well, I wouldn't call it easy money. It, it's, it's an interesting thing because it's so it's easier and yet it's harder because it's so saturated. 
Like, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's I'm, I'm, you know, I was wondering, is it hard to find now, find good software as a service deals? Because there's so many out there and they're just all, everyone's got a little bit of revenue, but does it really scale? I mean. Yeah. So that, that's a good question. So, um, you know, other, other investor partners that I have sent some SaaS deals to, they have, uh, you know, told me to look for a few things that I think is super important to look for. Now, this is how I am looking at, you know, analyzing deals when I first get them too, which is, okay, well, this company is similar to these kinds of companies that are a little bit further or older or 10 years ahead, but it's the same industry. Have any of them been acquired in the past five years? Have any been been acquired the past 10 years? How many of them actually went to IPO in this industry or sector, right? And so you have to be able to compare yourself to the other people in your industry and be like, okay, well, how saturated is it? And how fundable is it? If they haven't received funding in five years, you're probably not going to receive it in this sector because there aren't new investment firms popping up for this, for just you. That's not what's happening. Um, you have to kind of see everything as a big picture. And sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard when you are so focused on what you're doing 80 hours a week. Yeah. I mean, that's so true. I think a lot of founders get bent out of shape on their, you know, shiny new object syndrome. This is my baby. <laughs> you should love what I'm doing. It's like, it's another tech SaaS product. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, I'm being and, and a little crass, right? But no, but, but it's, it's also just like, um, this is, this is your baby. This is real. This is a living, breathing thing, but is it five times better than what's out there on the market? Or is it just a little bit better? And so we do see those all the time as well. Like there was a, a company that was sent over to me and it was not in software, not in tech. And they said it was revolutionary. That was like their whole thing. They use that word multiple times. In- the buzzword bingo word that I'm like, oh, really? kind of revolution we talking about here (laughs) (laughs) there's a revolutionary condom company (laughs) 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 oh man this guy clearly doesn't know what we're investing in clearly like really overused this buzzword by by a lot it was all over his deck too because in his email, he purposely didn't explain what he does. It was it was in the deck only. And um, oh. so that. So the revolutionary part was only in the marketing. <laughs> <laughs> you can't change the product. It's pretty hard. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe, but still. Oh, wow. That's great. I love I love those stories. Well, you know, it's funny because there's like, you you run into these founders every once in a while who are so secretive about what they do. They think it's so great. And then they explain it. It's super, I mean, that one's a super easy one, but it's so complicated that like, I don't even know if they really truly understand it, to be honest. Yeah. And then you're like, well, I can't evaluate this. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what, what it is. And yeah. the thing that I found, and I love your thoughts on this, is that the founders that can simplify the message and literally explain it to their grandmother about what they do and why it's unique and what pain they solve. And I love your, you know, your, your heuristic of, is it five X better? I've heard nine X I've heard 10 X better than what's yeah. out there. Um, how is that fit into it? Because I mean, that's what I do. I tell stories about tech products and among other things. And I've just always found it. It's always fallen flat on that. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, storytelling first is a lost skill because it's a skill we never learned in school, but it is a skill that we definitely should learn because it's the ability to relate to another human that you literally just have nothing in common with, right? So um, we have this great um, startup festival. It's called Startup Fest here in Montreal. It's in July and it's, it's like a bunch of tents. It looks like Burning Man, but for like startups. I mean, I think I have never been to Burning Man. Oh, uh, I, um, I, I was just watching. Right? <laughs> I was just watching a video about Burning Man the other day. Oh, okay. There's a lot of tents, but I don't think it's anything like Montreal. <laughs> no, probably not. There are also grandmas there at the yeah. start. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so as you were saying, if you explain it to your grandma, so this is a real thing in startup. They had three grandmas. I think one of them was the grandma of the founder, one of the founders of Shopify, which cool. was our Canadian sweetheart. Cool. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So we we love them, and we, they of course they did the, the speech here and everything. Um, and the grandma was one of the three grandmas that were there. And uh, one of my friends, who was like from one of the angel funds, was designated to like take care of them. And I was like, "What does that mean? Are you going to like jump into their spot if anything happens?" Because he is a a, a young white man. <laughs> that he is part of the grandma pitch. Oh, I love and it. This is by far the most popular pitch. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, this is it entertainment. So it's so great. It's so great. And uh, the grandmas give you their evaluations and their questions. So if you can relate to, to, to anyone, then that is, that is gold. Because as investors, we want to feel confident that you know what you're doing. And we want to feel confident that we don't have to hold your hand in an industry we don't know anything about. So you better be able to tell us and your customers who may never have heard of this product, you know, how to use it, what to do in the most simplified ways possible. So even if it is your grandma who's like, you know, so boasting about you all the time at bingo or wherever she goes, it is fantastic. It is fantastic because as long as she gets the pitch right, then you are gold. Yeah, I agree. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Because I always tell people, like, you know, explain it to your grandma. And they're like, well, you know, what about grandpa? And I'm like, okay, in my generation, this is grandpa. Pull my finger. Like, <laughs> not not grandma who cares about you, nurtures you. And more importantly, grandmas traditionally are the ones that bring up, like, they're the keeper of the tribal knowledge of the world. Like, that's... and and they synthesize better than anyone. And, and yeah, nothing against grandpas, but you know, they teach you skills. Grandmas teach you wisdom, right? That's like the way it works. They'll teach it through stories. Yeah, exactly. They're great. They're one of the best storytellers and grandpas are too, but I mean, grandmas is awesome that way. But I love that because you know, what's really funny is when I was pitching lab sensor solutions back when we were at 500 startups and we, you know, my late wife, Jane would get me all these little pitching gigs, you know, just to practice. I went to a retirement home to pitch my company. I mean, and it was like all these retired folks living at the facility. Right. Oh and it God. was like a comedy kind of thing. It was, it was pretty cool. Cause the, the, you know, yeah. they, it sort of did it like, um, kind of like shark night. tank. Yeah. Okay. But, but the geriatric version, I mean, was whatever, but, <laughs> but what's funny was, you know, I had to walk in and pitch the thing and the prize, <laughs> the, prize the prize was uh, dinner at the facility with them and for dessert, orange jello. <laughs> did you win? I did not win. I was so <laughs> bummed, but it was so much fun because 
this is the thing that I just love about that story you just told. I'm so glad that you brought that up. The we get full of ourselves as founders that everything we do is awesome. Like everything is awesome. Like that, you know, that Lego. Yeah, movie. the Lego's off. <laughs> Which is just, you know, an earworm that I'm sure a lot of parents are like, Jari, shouldn't have done that. Um, <laughs> but we shouldn't take ourselves so serious that we can't have fun telling our story because that shows like you feel the energy in your body. It comes through. If you can make fun of yourself, if you can like not be so serious, you know, like I'm trying to win orange jello. <laughs> it's bragging rights. Right. Um, I really love that you brought that up. I would love to, to go to that at one point when yeah. we can travel. Um, I, I would love for every retirement home to have that as a monthly event for yeah. every community. I think that it would only make startups better. Yeah. And um, there's also nothing more humbling as a feeling than when you're on the stage pitching to um, these retirees and you can see someone sleeping because they'll just sleep. <laughs> like you have, you've lost their attention. <laughs> yeah. Then, you know, you're not entertaining. Yeah. And, you're like, I've, I've lost it. Just, you, I'm you, not going to get should... that out. You should probably work on the pitch and the entertainment. (laughs) I love that. That's such a great story. I love that. I think it's important too, from a generational point of view as well. I mean, we're losing that. I mean, we're losing not only that connection to the previous generation, even the generation coming up, you know, like I'm a Gen Xer. I, I see the tension between the boomers and the millennials and now gen z and i'm just like why are we just not like enjoying each other's wisdom i mean i love talking to really young founders about what they're doing because like their perspective is totally different than mine when i was coming up like when i was coming up 14 you know (laughs) slides in a powerpoint got you funded (laughs) like here you go like nobody you know nowadays it's a lot harder you know so do do you see do you see like a wide swath of of from different generations i mean yeah you know different- i mean we don't have a lot of like student pitches or anything we we do have just like a variety for sure but more the older variety and up to just millennial but i did have this uh recent experience with my gen z um marketing intern um, so this like recently happened when we have our monthly performance review and I'm a millennial. And so he was like, I, yeah, I just, I, I, I got the call from, uh, from like, you know, another one of our teammates. And he was just like, I don't know what's happening. Like, why don't we have like the big picture? And he goes, Oh, don't worry. Sydney's just going to tell you what to do like every day. And then you just do it. And then he goes, but I wanted to ask you, like, why is it that you give us daily tasks? And I was like, your generation has taught me to treat you that way. And so he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, over the course of VentureX, um, we have tried a variety of ways to, uh, you know, assign tasks, delegate, all these things. We've used everything from like Bitbucket to Asana to, you know, Trello. And the easiest ways to actually do things was just to tell them things verbally, and which is because I like to do that. But I only give them tasks that it would take them up to, the day, like the end of the day to do. 
And then the next day we go over, what did you do yesterday? What are your priorities for today? And do you have any questions for myself or anybody else on the team? And we do that every day as a status meeting. And we used to have weekly calls because when I was an intern at Ogilvy and Mathers, one of the largest marketing agencies in the world, uh, we only had weekly calls with uh, either our clients or our mentors or our manager, right? It was weird to talk to somebody every single day, but they have taught me that if I give them something at the beginning of the week, by the next week, half of that would have been out of their mind. doesn't matter where they wrote it down. It just would not be done. And they would like not manage the, the time for the whole week enough that it would be like, oh my God, I have to do everything now on Friday. And then, so some of it will be done. Some of it won't, some of it will be lost. They wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't bother to ask questions Monday to Thursday. And, uh, and then by, by next Monday, when we have our status meeting again, it was just like, all right, I need to, I need to make a change. So then he starts laughing because he's like, oh, that's so true. I definitely wouldn't remember things by the next day. So it was, uh, it, it wasn't a way to, because as you know, millennials, when we were in corporate, we hated being micromanaged, right? Oh yeah. But well, Gen Xers hate that too. I, yeah. I particularly hate but that. But Gen too. Zs like having bite-sized baby steps of things. Hmm. Not that you have to be like, Hey, did you finish this? Did you finish this? Did you finish this? Like, no, no, no. Just like the next day, what were these baby steps and how, how did it progress? And did you have questions coming from that kind of thing? Right. So it was, and they don't have to like show you the progress of every single thing, but they have taught me that that was the most effective way to deal with their generation as a generational thing. And I thought it was really funny. Huh. I didn't know that. <laughs> But I don't. I don't work with a bunch of Gen Z, do I? No, no. I mentor some, but I don't. I don't work with any. Huh? I never knew that. Yeah, and then when you get a lot of uh, startup pitches from the millennial generation, because it's such a wide gap, like there are people who grew up with no internet until they were in like high school or college, right? And then there's some. <laughs> It's true. Yeah, well, Gen Gen X, we didn't grow up with internet. Like, like cell phones were just a thing, you know, back in the day when dial-up modems were like the rage, you know. Yeah, and if you and like, um, if you had more than two cell phones in the house, then you were like Rockefeller, like this. (laughs) Or one in your. We used to have one in the car because for business, it was like bolted into the car. Because it was as big as a book or bigger, you know. And so we get lots of different kinds of pitches from the the millennial range because, like I said, they grew up so differently, and um, they all were considered into one class, which is kind of crazy because technology is the breaking point of that class and the breaking point of what separated your childhood and adulthood in a lot of ways too. Just like access to like all information. Doesn't matter how fast or slow, it was just like there. And, uh, and that's why um, one of my favorite things uh, when I was studying in marketing was um, what Gary Vee said. And he said that when he first started, because he's a marketer. Um, so when he first started, it was really funny because he was like, when I first started, my email rate was 100%. Because every person would read every word in their email. No, oh, yeah. I mean, many. you got like two emails, a couple of emails a week, maybe if you were <laughs> yeah. lucky, it was novel. Exactly. It was novel and it was special. It was just like, Oh my God, I got like a handwritten card 
in the mail. I better like take my time to open. I'm going to have a special like time and moment for this. I am and going I to set aside some coffee and some tea. <laughs> I'm going to play some music. I'm going to light some incense and I'm going to read the mail. <laughs> exactly. So that's what email was like when he was first doing marketing and then kind of like over time explaining how it evolved. It was just fascinating because I couldn't possibly imagine because, you know, we didn't get any ads. So I, I didn't get any ads. I was like a kid, but like <laughs> if we, if we had, like, how do we react to that kind of thing, right? Totally. No, no, you're right. And it's just funny how the generations work that way. I'm not, I didn't know that. Interesting. So does that change your approach on how you teach a founder to pitch and, you know, get ready to get funded? Because my guess is the, well, the fundamentals are always the same. Mm-hmm but the approach may be a little different. So have you found that you've had to adjust what you do depending on generations or how, how, yeah, how does that all work? Yeah. So it's actually less so in terms of generations and more so upon in culture. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Across different geographies. So um, yeah. And and so in, it was like an East versus West kind of a thing too, was super, super different. That was where I found the most uh, differentiating factors. So I pitched at, um, well, I didn't pitch. I gave a presentation at Hong Kong FinTech Week um, because we are a FinTech um, platform. And so when I was there in, and uh, I did a North American style pitch where like you start with a provocative question, you start with a, you know, stats, you start with a joke, you start with, none of those things worked. It was the worst I've ever bombed. If I was a stand-up, this is the worst I've ever bombed. There was so much <laughs> silence. <laughs> Chinese people are not used to audience participation from anyone on the stage. It's super weird. And I didn't know that. Also, like they didn't have stand-up comedians. They didn't have those kinds of talk shows, those things that we are used to having a super flamboyant, engaging uh, personality uh, type on, on a stage, right? That's like what all of our MCs are at every event and, uh, and, and every speaker mostly. So then like, those are the people that, that um, introduce startups, if anything. So yeah, no one, no one participated. No one raised their hands. No one, no one did anything. They're just like, it was like they were watching a movie and I'm like two feet from them. I'm not super far away. It wasn't a big stage. And uh, there was way more people than, than I would care for to have seen this. But, uh, but yeah, so when I was receiving the pitches um, as an investor from other, uh, other places, it was difficult because I had to then understand that they were not from the same kinds of culture that we are used to seeing. And so when they have a different style of pitching, whether they're from India or Asia, India or China, um, that's where we got a lot of them from, um, or Singapore, and um, versus if they were from the US or or Canada, it was really different in terms of how they they asked for things, how much money they asked for, especially, um, and then what they considered the stages were. But like, in, in the way that they're explaining things, it was very different because you can feel that some of them are trying to adapt to a North American pitch in terms of our flow and our structure. And so, so what, what, what's the big, what's just the big difference? Like what's a couple of differences between. Kind yeah. Of so um, so a, a great difference is how uh, like in, in, in America, you actually have, I see, I've seen this a lot when I went to different meetups and uh, different events, they would actually bring their prototype and be like, go touch it, play with it. Do like all, all these things. This is it. And I'm like, Oh, that's, 
they're so engaging. It was so interesting. Um, one of them that I remember was um, it was it was something to like move on your you attach it to your helmet, like a bike helmet or or some kind of helmet, and then it moves your GoPro for you. And um, and that way you don't have to keep like moving your own head around, but it moves it for you. And um, and then you can control it uh, through a variety of different ways or like the person who has your phone can control it. And so being able to see that, being able to see that it's real is so interesting. Um, and then, for example, when I was in um, Hong Kong, you know, uh, first he pitched in English and then I told him he can speak Chinese to me. And he was like, oh, OK, good. And then he pitched in both English and Chinese which was really funny. And then I realized, oh, okay, that's how they, that's just how they talk. All right. So, um, so he is explaining uh, this incredible machine that had very few photos. Um, It doesn't really tell me the problem in a storytelling kind of way. Like here is the problem. Here is a solution. Here is the market. It kind of jumbled all of that in a different order. So I had to figure that out myself. But it was a machine that like basically prints out Bitcoin for you, like an ATM style. So then you can feel that cryptocurrency is real. Um, I think it's really cool and innovative. I still don't know what the problem is he's trying to solve because <laughs> it was not part of the pitch. And um, But that was also uh, more common than I felt it should have been. Um, in, in those ways. And so then if I were to then re-explain it to a different investor, I would have had a lot of trouble coming from my, you know, North American filters. Well, and just, yeah, it's, if it, I think that's the, the secret to a good pitch and a good story is that someone else can repeat it to another person. Mm-hmm. That kind of meme type process where it's, if it's really repeatable and again, you can get your grandmother to explain it to someone else or whoever you've pitched to like, Oh yeah, yeah. you got to talk to Sydney. She's got this great platform that helps startups prepare to get, you know, funding. Oh, Oh, cool. Yeah. Let me check it out. If I'm interested in that or whatever it's, it's, I yeah. think it's, it's a, it's a, as you mentioned, I think it's a skill we don't get taught in terms of storytelling and simplification. Cause I guess, I don't know, maybe people think that it's a little bit beneath them to kind of, have to talk at a level of, you know, fourth, fifth grade, as opposed to graduate level of how smart they are, you know? Yeah. But let me leave you with, with, with this. Um, uh, Warren Buffett's most prized possession is his certification to uh, the Carnegie Institute. So the Carnegie Institute was just to help him um, present and communicate his ideas. And he said, um, this very famously that when he graduated from this institution and he was finally comfortable in public speaking in any way, shape or form that he was not before, he took down his university degree and put up his Carnegie certification at his office. And I thought that was so interesting that, you know, he's not somebody that I, I would be known to be like, he does TED Talks all the time. Like, that's not what he's really using any of this for. It was to be able to communicate the things that he already knows to other investors, to other partners, to other customers. And so it was um, a means to a, a means to a bigger picture. Yeah, I mean, that big idea is, I think, the most critical thing. People got to they got to know kind of where you're going. You know, yeah. what 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 do you really like? What is this thing really like? What's the big idea? Yeah. 
there was a TV show about that on C- CNBC. I don't remember. Danny Deutsch, I think, is the one that did it. And I always loved when he's like, hey, what's the big idea with this? And I'm like, wow. Like, <clears throat> I don't know if it's on anymore, but he just was really good at like figuring out this is the nut to crack. This is the this is the thing. This is the guide star. This is where we're going. This is why. And that is important. That's an important skill for sure. I wish, I hope that it's still on. I hope there's a kid's version (laughs) on the way. Yeah, I know. Nothing. There's nothing worse. You and I both have these kinds of friends where they tangent from conversations and then you feel like they poisoned you. (laughs) Took your time away and you're like what what why am i here like what, what just, is that my brain is dying what just happened <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. Time. we all know this person that we barely want to talk to for this reason yeah it's the it's the word salad verbal diarrhea type stuff where mm-hmm. i mean and and i look i've had i have this problem just generally i'm not i'm, I'm a I'm what's called a highly functional introvert which which means that I don't mind talking to people. It's just, I get a little anxious about it. That's one of the reasons I do this podcast is to literally practice talking. I know it sounds silly, but as an entrepreneur and as someone that wants to communicate ideas, the most important thing is that you practice. Like if you're in sports, most of the time you spend practicing as opposed to playing, right? Yeah. And and that's what they taught us at 500 startups when I was there um, with Lab Sensor Solutions. And it was the pitch practice that solidified in my mind that those that are prepared, that can tell a good story, are the ones that get funded, are the ones that move their idea forward. And it's a hard job that has to, you have to spend time on it. You have um, to spend time on it because and, you're asking for someone else's uh, resources that they won't uh, be able to give to someone else because they gave it to you. Right. And, um, and yeah, I think there was a, there was a great quote about how preparation is so important um, to prepare things on your side, but also prepare to know why this is the right um, investor for you, because you, you could easily just don't, please don't spray and pray. That is like the worst method, but uh, what was it? It was, the the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in war. Hmm. Hmm. Yep. Yep. That's one hundred percent true. That was. I think I read that in a book by Richard Marchenko, mm. the Rogue Warrior. That was the first the first one I read it in. And all the Navy SEAL guys live by that creed because they train so much. It's ridiculous how much they train, but they know that the more prepared you are when people are shooting at you, the better you'll react. I mean, they work on that muscle memory. So that's literally automatic. Right. Yeah. And I you think that's want to burn all those bridges uh, with the investors that you were not prepared for. And, um, and it, and then you're just kind of like talking around things that are very vague and probably not true. And so you don't want to go through that road because that is, that's going to be, you're not going to really have a second chance. So you have to be really careful that even if you go, you know, with a second company or you pivot or things like that, it's difficult to go back to uh, these investors. And now that our social media and our emails and everything records all your history, they'll be like, oh, yeah, you were that person. Like, that's not ideal. That's not the war you want to you want to fight. No, no. You want to be 
prepared as best you can and yeah. humble and helpful and just kind of roll with it. So, uh, Sydney, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for taking the time to show us a little bit of what you're doing at Venture X and, and how how you see the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was it was great to be here. Had so much fun. Thanks, Sydney, for being on the show. I really did enjoy our discussion. Now, as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from Sydney. Tailor your pitch to your audience. Research the investors you're pitching so you can more clearly connect with them and explain why they should invest in you. Keep in mind that different areas of the world have different expectations on how to pitch. This was actually a really important insight that she shared with us. Make a pitch that passes the grandma test. Be sure it's clear and understandable, and you explain what problem your service or product solves. I mean, I say this all the time. If you can't explain it to your grandmother, then you don't understand it. So explain it to your grandmother. That's a great piece of advice. Practice, practice, practice you likely won't get another chance to pitch someone. So be prepared the first time. Always be ready to pitch your company. You actually never know when you'll actually get to pitch someone, be it in an elevator, be it at a trade show, be it passing in the night, who knows? But so always be prepared. That's it. Those are the actionable insights that I learned from Sydney. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.